Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! I'm telling you, my spider sense is tingling. Amazing Spider-Man number 129, mint condition. Worth a thousand bucks. Comic book. No, it's not just a comic book. This is the first appearance of a Punisher. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Willow, but it's the fat signal. How do I get it to work? Willpower, like the Green Lantern's ring. You call comic books. That's so cute. Cute, it's very rugged and manly. Just a bit geek, huh? I think it's sweet. It must be really hard when all your friends have, like, superpowers. You must feel like Jimmy Olsen. You can't charge innocent people for saving their lives. Spider-Man does. Action is his reward. Hey, kids, comics! Yo, listen up, here's the story About a little guy that lives in a blue world And all day and all night And everything he sees is just blue Like him inside and outside Blue his house with a blue little window And a blue Corvette And everything is blue for him And himself and everybody around Cause he ain't got nobody to listen to Hello, lovelies, and welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And tonight, tonight's episode is something we have been building up to for a while. It's actually reader request time. It is. Isn't it? Well, because you, you, you refuse to when I ask can we cover this, but if a, if a <laughs> listener asks... I, I didn't refuse. It was I merely said, oh, do we have to? If, in fact, if I go back and listen to several episodes, it'll be, nope, never doing that, nope. Did I say that? Yeah. Well, it just goes to show that you can change your mind and grow as a person. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Because, yeah, tonight we're covering Civil War, part one of two. Yeah. Because there was just far too much work for Michael to fit it all into one what episode. You well, it was you with all the tie-ins and such. Eight that, issues. Yeah, that you were like, I can't, I can't fit all these tie-ins into one show. That, and we both thought it would be wise not to do eight issues in one show. That as well, especially seeing as we're not just doing the seven issues of Civil War and Captain America 25, what? we are also covering the Spider-Man tie-ins, because, yeah. the, let's be honest, lovely listener, there had to be something that kept me engaged. Wait, wait, it was Spider-Man. So we brought Spider-Man in. The tedious and dull, bleak Spider-Man tie-ins. They were not that bad. They, w- they were. But anyway, we are shooting our lord. We, we are. And we don't want to do that. We do not. Too soon. Hello, Anya. Uh, but before we begin this night, yes. Last night, last night, as we record this, we watched Iron Man three. We did. Did we not? We did. So if like you've not seen it yet, before the Americans. Yeah, we saw it before Americans. Well, and it had been released the week before. Yeah. So we were one of the countries that got to see Iron Man two before the US. Iron Man three. Iron Man three before the, we saw Iron Man four. It was awesome. <laughs> Guys should have been there. Who would have thought he would have been a good replacement for Robert Downey Jr.? I know. I, I couldn't weird, tell the it? difference. I couldn't. No, I, anyway. I, and to think Johnny Depp plays the same character and everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got to see Iron Man a week before America did. I don't know why. Um, so, yeah, Iron Man 3. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. Good. Best Excellent. of the trilogy. Did you? Mm. Really? Yes. Better than the first one. Yeah, because it didn't get dragged down by the origin story. Mm. Which well, is always you, a bonus. You don't get dragged down by the origin. No, but your sequels are better because they can fly, spread Literally. their wings. 
Spread the wings and fly. But I think, yeah, it probably was the better of the trilogy. Or activate the boot jets. But I thought it didn't work well. As you, 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 you could probably disagree with me, but I didn't think it worked well as its own movie because it, the entire story of it was based on the Avengers. It was. It did springboard very much more from the Avengers than the previous Iron Man movies. The bad guys, like the, the motives, you know, needed the Avengers. Tony's character arc was yeah. inspired by the Avengers. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Right. I don't disagree with that. Mm. I don't. Uh, I don't know if you need to have seen the other Iron Man movies to enjoy it, but if you saw the Avengers, yeah, it helps. That and I heard a pretty kick-ass soundtrack before the film even began. What? Down blue now. A1 Nation were in it. I enjoyed it, but we are going to spoil the film. So if you haven't seen it or you're waiting for it on DVD, go away. And then come back when we finish talking about it. Or fast forward. Or fast forward. There is yeah. a problem where when you stop fast forwarding, you fast stop fast forwarding the second before. Just before we say, who'd have thought they'd have cut Pepper Potts' head off and put it in a box? Yep. <laughs> I, I said I said that to Mum in the cinema. <laughs> I, I can't believe they got away with that. I can't believe. Uh, what did you think of the Mandarin? I liked it actually. Did you? I did. Yeah. When you think they were going to zig, but they actually zagged. He's actually zagged. Because the thing is, even from the beginning, they don't go with a Mandarin character. Do they not? He's American. No, he's not. In the film. No, he isn't. He speaks with that kind of Middle Eastern... Southern a Southern American accent. I didn't think it was Southern. With his army dog tags, because he's from the American army. No, that wasn't Mandarin. That was the people that kept blowing up. No, the Mandarin was American in that film. No, he wasn't. Did you watch the same film? It was Ben Kingsley! Yeah? As Mr. Slattery, the actor. Yeah? He was a British theatre actor. His Leo was a touch of character. No, he wasn't. Yes. In what way was he playing an American? The Mandarin was American. The no, whole film was based on him being American. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. It was based on him attacking America. He was an American... He was... Yes, he was an American soldier. I'm sorry, I didn't get that at all. So I don't know what film you were watching. That film, man. No, I didn't get that at all. What? No. Okay, in the film, the British actor was he playing an American character? Right. Michael's contention is that Ben Kingsley's character Slattery, a British theatre actor, darling, whose Leo was the toast of Croydon, which was the funniest line in the film was an American soldier. The Mandarin. He was and a I'm, British actor playing And I'm an looking American at him soldier. going, no, he wasn't. He was playing a Middle Eastern character who was attacking America. How did you get that he was Middle Eastern? No, no. he wasn't. The, the Mandarin character that he was playing wasn't Middle Eastern. He what was American. Was he then? The dog he tags was he was American. wearing. I'm sure that Michael's right. He was playing an American who... Attacking his own country. Yes. Did that just sail completely over my head? Yes. <laughs> why was he? Why was he pretending to be in dusty caves then? Because he did. Because he was replacing what the I terrorists. Got, yeah. What I got from it was he was kind of like Damien Lewis. Right. And. So he was a domestic terrorist. Yeah, that's what I got. It is in one of the videos. I must have slept through that bit. Yeah, it is in one of the videos that they did broadcast. That he was supposedly a soldier who has been turned. 
Yes. Right. Ben, how did it go over your head that he had a blatant Southern American accent? He did not have a Southern accent. Did he have a Southern accent? I don't pick up a Southern accent. Did he not? No. Okay. He was very funny as... Slattery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ben Kingsley was very funny once he became Ben Kingsley. But there is a theory... Yes. ...that it's a demon. That That it was all an act... It was an act within an act within an act. Yeah, that it was all an act. Like, why would they refer to him as the master when he wasn't in the room and he wasn't part of the act? Why did Guy Pearce's character keep referring to him as the master? There is a theory that he actually was a criminal mastermind and when he got caught by Tony Stark... He was just playing up the He just pretended that he was the actor. But I didn't buy that. No. Because at the very end where he's been led into prison or into he's been arrested isn't he and all the paparazzi are there he looks at it like it's a red carpet deal and he's like ooh this is very good so I I don't buy that that and the bad guy says he is the mandarin at the end who? Guy Pearce yeah yeah he does I don't buy that no Guy Pearce says that he's the mandarin Guy Pearce is the mandarin Yeah. yeah right which is, is right. He's the mastermind behind it all. That makes more sense. Yeah. So if you listen to this and you haven't seen the film, you've just ruined it for yourself. But we did warn you. So. Did you like it? Me? Hmm. Yeah. Good. My favourite bit was the Air Force One bit. Did you clap when he took it back? <laughs> no, that was Anya. That was Anya. She Anya clapped when we watched Air Force, Air Force One. one. Yeah. We watched Air Force One the other day when uh, Anya kept referring to it as Indiana Jones and Air Force One. <laughs> That was, she, that was what she thought the film was. And at the end when he beats the crap out of Gary Oldman, she went, go Indy. <laughs> it was very funny. But anyway, no, the scene where everybody falls out of Air Force One was the best bit in the film. With the, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, 50 the, stunt taxes. Yeah. Yeah, for the 13 people. Mm-hmm. Very good. Enjoyed it. Michael already posted a joke picture. Did he? Yeah. I didn't notice. So that's what we thought of Iron Man 3. Yes. Stop, stop singing blue, please. Okay. It was very enjoyable. <laughs> but anyway, emails. So yeah, it was good. I want to hear from some diehard Iron Man fans. Yes. Luke Giaconetti, I'm looking at you. I don't like the Mandarin. He's a poohead. No, <laughs> I don't think Luke will say that. Luke's far more eloquent yes. and erudite. I um, do not like the Mandarin for he is... Because I he, can see... I could understand because I could understand some people being a bit miffed about that. Yeah, but I liked it just because I, I thought it was funny. Yeah. It was a nice little twist mm. in the story. Because you ain't going to see that. You know, no. How's Iron Man going to beat the Mandarin with yeah. his ten magic? Well, it was, it was one of those. Uh, I'm glad that I avoided seeing. And I hadn't seen so much as a frame of that film. Have you not? Had you not? Nope. Didn't even watch the trailers. I just liked Adam's complaints. What was Adam's complaints? I've put pepper pots in the armour. I'm not watching it. It's crap. They've got pepper in the armour. She was in it for like 30 seconds. Yeah, but was, to be fair, there was so much hype around it before the film came yeah, it out. Did, they did make it sound like it was pepper in the armour that, that saved everybody at the end. Yeah. On the interview that we heard. But no, it was, I didn't mind. Going to Paltrow was alright, I suppose. I've nothing against her, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't actively seek her and put it in a box. <laughs> Yeah, that was Iron Man 3. Proof that Pepper Potts has a head. Tying it all back into Iron Man then. Yes. Very good. Our, oh, hello. What did you think of Iron Man 3? It was good. Excellent review. <laughs> Concise. <laughs> Concise and to the point. 
I, I, I think you should get that published in a, a periodical of some description. It was good. Anya Leyland. That's that's on the, the poster first. for the net for the re-release. That's on the when it gets on DVD and Blu-ray. It was good. That's going on the DVD. We'll get people to watch, uh, to watch it. It would. Yeah. It would. Our first email tonight. Hello, fellow humans. How do you know that? I beg to differ. How do you know that we're not aliens? Or is he the alien? I don't know. It's from Rob Stubbs. Hi, Rob. Hello, Mr. Leyland and Mr. Leyland. Hello, Mr. Stubbs. Let's see. As I haven't read either of the first two comics in your No Super Reset, I'm not sure what to talk about. I certainly watched the original Battlestar Galactica, which I enjoyed in my youthful era. I remember the episode on the casino planet with the friendly aliens who turned out to be eating the guests so weren't all that friendly. I vaguely remember the transition from certain people being dead to being alive because they needed a recurring villain. I also remember the limited space battles, which I didn't really understand was because of the limited budgets they had to use at the time. Now I'm tempted to rewatch the show on Hulu, which usually ends up with me being terribly disappointed in the shows I used to watch. Yeah, you'd probably be terribly disappointed with Battlestar Galactica as an adult. Mm. <laughs> I've been rewatching Butt Rogers on my iPod. Have you? Yeah. A bit let down. A lot let down. <laughs> Would be. I'm still. I still stick with it because it's a comfortable length to watch if you're having your dinner. Yeah. Or you're on a train going somewhere or to somewhere. But my God, Gil Gerard was a bland actor. He was totally. So why did you like it so much as a kid? I don't know. I just liked it because it was spacey stuff. And it was on uh, roughly turnover and watch Doctor Who. Yeah. And the last half of Butt Rogers was always on because right. they were on at the same time. So maybe that's what it was. But yeah, the best episode was written by Marty Pascal, okay. who wrote Superman comics in the seventies and eighties. Uh, he wrote he wrote quite a good one. But God, yeah, Gil Gerard was boring. How did I end up in the future? Biddy biddy biddy. Oh God, and tweak it. Biddy 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 biddy. I will make a twentieth century reference. Buck. And you're like, at what There's point? Nothing happened in at between. what point did Buck bring that up? Why would he ever mention that? Mm. It's just very stupid. Rob's email continues. The comic you talked about sounds actually good, with the Cylon with two eyes being a creation of the leader of the Cylons that they are afraid of. I wonder if they made other Cylons with more than two eyes, which each model being even better according to the number of eyes they had. So the spider-eyed Cylon would be the superior Cylon. <laughs> I quite like that idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a Cylon out there with spider eyes, and he's he, and they all go at once, so it doesn't. Oh, you know, kind of like the bounty hunters from Saga, but a Cylon. Yeah, but a Cylon. That'd be quite cool. Spider on the walls. A cyborg bounty hunter in Marvel Star Wars comic Valance. Okay. I don't think his eyes went, but mm. he was a similar idea. <laughs> I wonder if Bastard Glatzker and Knight Rider are actually connected, like. The Knight Rider technology ultimately led to the Cylon overthrowing of the people of Earth, and they became the Cylon. Is that, a, of, is that factual? No, I just made that up. It's actually good. Actually. It's, That's it fits what I was in, out, doesn't yeah. it? At some point down the future, Kit's voice turns into that Cylon voice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I cannot do that. Like By that. your command, Michael. <laughs> Uh, I always found Apollo sort of boring in the TV show, continues Rob, compared to the other actors, and I'm glad the comic book version sounds more interesting. I suspect one of the reasons they discontinued the comic was because they were dealing with Lucas Arts and the Star Wars comic. I think it's more likely that Galactica 80 came along, Rob, and, and that was a bag of poo. Mm-hmm. The Super Scouts. If a bag of poo was put in the <sighs> microwave for half an hour. God, it was terrible. Michael, you big cheater! With your lawyering to make an issue of Invincible part of this set. I do specialise in cheating. You do. I think you did in the planetary one as well, but I'm not sure. I do remember seeing issues of Invincible in the comic book store, which I never actually read. 
the story you picked make me at least want to go and find the issue and read it. But since you covered it so well, I don't have to do that. Thank you, Michael, for enabling my laziness. You're very welcome. We're all lazy over here. <laughs> I've, I've, I can't believe the amount of people who've said, oh, yeah, I saw Invincible, I never picked it up. Yeah. And you're like, but you're reading The Walking Dead, dude. Why would you not pick up Invincible? Mm-hmm. Which is every bit as better. Did we read Invincible before The Walking Dead? Yeah, I don't remember. Um... I think it was Invincible first. I thought we read Invincible first. I think it, would have, it was, actually. Yeah. So I remember you only p- started reading Walking Dead when you picked up an issue of it in the comic store. I thought, ooh, that was quite good, actually. Yeah, and I picked up the hardcover then, didn't I? Uh, the second instalment using war comics I can at least say I've read both Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos and Sergeant Rock and Easy Company I actually like the Haunted Tank better than either of those books because a ghost was more interesting to me at that point you can sum up the differences between the two companies in what happens to the main characters Sergeant Fury gets access to an immortality drug allowing him to stay youthful so he can become a super CIA spy and then the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sergeant Rock gets shot at the end of the war and he's dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Pretty accurate. Yeah. I read the Fury issue, I think, at one point. I did own multiple issues of the Howling Commando, so no one in the family is going to know the son was a traitor, despite even back there there would be reports and people questioning the Howling Commandos to get information that could be useful. It's not like the family has connections to the military. Oh, wait, the whole reason that they got sent off in the first place is because of the connections the family had. Yeah, see, I think the connections of the family may have kept it quiet that he was Lord Ha-Ha. Oh, Lord Ha-Ha, as he was in the comic, wasn't yeah. he? The whole story is designed to make certain Fury can't form any long-term romantic connections by having the girl he falls for become someone he has then to keep horrible secret from. Sounds like an okay issue anyway. Actually, he would have a, a long-term relationship with Pamela Hawley that would end tragically. Before she got shot. She gets killed off panel. It's it's really sad. Mm-hmm. He sees her at the beginning of the issue. Yeah. And it's all very nice, and he's considering proposing to her. And then he, he gets is. whisked away on a mission with the Howlers. Right. And while he's away... She's helped, she's doing some Red Cross business and she gets killed. So he never sees her again. Did he shed a man to you? I shed a man to you. Might have been worse if he did propose to her. She said yes, they got married, but then... Then he got killed. On the way to the honeymoon, right? She got shot in the car. That that would be a bit too Bond, (laughs) I think. (laughs) The Sergeant Rock issue sounds better to me as the hero gets the crap kicked out of him multiple times and survives. It's like the difference between, say, the Roger Moore James Bond being Sergeant Fury and the Bruce Willis diehard being Sergeant Rock. Until next time, this is your American pal signing off. R.L. Stubbs Jr., Irish T. Cat, Rob Alloy IV, Galahad Dulac, Paladin of Light, and then the Latin thing that I never read properly. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say Sergeant Rock was Roger Moore. Okay. But he's not David Hasselhoff. I've been trying to think who would make a good Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Rock, Sergeant Fury of that era. Because I, I like Samuel L. Jackson as Sergeant Fury. A Colonel Fury, isn't he? in yeah. the, the movies he's perfectly fine but damn it I want my World War 2 fury that's what I want Inglorious Bastards Brad Pitt yeah 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 Brad Pitt could probably pull off Sergeant Fury now eye patch come on easy I want my 100 natty scalps 100 <laughs> dead natty scourges yeah like I could totally want Sergeant Fury and his Inglorious Bastards <laughs> instead of the Howling Commandos that would actually be quite cool I think Tarantino directs the next Captain America movie. Yeah. Oh, no. Maybe not. Our next email. My thrill power is off the charts! Is the title. It is from Luke Giaconetti. Mm-hmm. Is his thrill power over 9,000? Some say his thrill power is over Prog 9,000. And that if he was Mach 1, he could travel at Mach 6. All we know is he's called Luke Giaconetti. That was good. 
I thought so. Borrowed Thung Footsies, Drakken Awesome. A podcast with an Elster and a Jew bringing knowledge to all these brain dead simps and perps who don't know about 2000 AD and Axe Cop to boot. Snicking fools. Damn squares. <laughs> Mega City One slang notwithstanding, I loved the backstory and history of 2000 AD, which you gave us on the show. With the passing of Lady Thatcher recently, I've been thinking about the late 70s and 80s in both the US and the UK, which leads directly into thinking about 2000 AD for a comics fan. Judge Dredd, the ABC robots, Droid Life, Lobster Random, oh yeah. Never really got into Dan Durr, though. Uh, the early Durr stuff's really good, and I, again, I think I recommended Garth Ennis's take on it. Yeah. Which is well worth reading. I personally am a big fan of anthology titles, continues Luke. I think going back to my love of war, horror and mystery comics, which were usually anthology. The main stopping point for me picking up 2000 AD is the cost. Simple maths demonstrates that weekly comics get pricey, and when you get your comics once a month through mail order, that's a lot of reading in one sitting. But the dedication to bleak dystopian science fiction mixed with British-style satire has always made it an alluring book for me. And of course, Judge Dredd. Dread is one of those great strips which works equally strong on more than one level, with a strong tradition of biting satire laid on top of the more basic level of action sci-fi stories, featuring this incredible leading character. So you can read it as a young man and stir a gog at the actions of Dread as he dispenses justice. And then as you get older, you can appreciate the more subtle aspects of the series as well. I don't think Dread was particularly subtle. I think 2080 was subtle. I get your point. I understand your point, Luke. Never read Axe Cop, but I remember hearing about the origins of the series with the creator's younger brother. Axe Cop, the character, has shown up in other web comics, including teaming up with the LOL Bat over on PvP, which was a lot of fun. This sounds like some incredibly silly stuff. Keep up the good work, dudes. Luke. I don't think silly stuff covers it. No, I don't. You know the artist? Yes. Is that Thought Bubble? Is he? He is. You'll have to get him to sign Axe Cop. If I had it. Mm. P.S. Can't rain all the time as a high school flashback. That's a line from The Crow. Wow, I remembered that because I liked the movie The Crow. Because I remember listening to that line in the cinema and going, you've never been here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which came out when Luke was a freshman in high school and immediately, along with Pulp Fiction, became the nay plus ultra of cool. I've never seen any of the sequels, though. I've never watched any that. of The Crow sequels. I don't know why, because I liked the first one. But I've never re-watched the first one. I saw it in the cinema, thought it was really good, never watched it again. Maybe you shouldn't re- uh, watch it again. Maybe I shouldn't now, maybe I should just leave it. PPS, awesome application of anthrax in the outro. I am the law. I'm glad you liked it, Luke. That was for you and her metal hero. Mm-hmm. That was a special, special treat. There was swearing in it. Was there? But it's a heavy metal song, so, so I figured I'd get away with it and nobody would notice, because you don't want to bleep a song, do you? That's I just, guess not. That's just silly. But so I left it, and nobody's complained. Mm-hmm. So I can yet. So I can only assume that people either because it's heavy metal song didn't notice mm-hmm. because it does all sound like <laughs> like that, or they did notice but don't care because they were too busy headbanging to anthrax. But yeah. Or they were listening to it with the kids, but they got away with it. Fair enough. Because they just Unless didn't mention we get an email next week saying, I was listening to your show in the car, and I heard... <laughs> you claim to be clean, and I distinctly heard in that Anthrax song, judicious application of the F word. And, and uh, on the way to church, my <laughs> two children <laughs> in the backseat... Oh, made me feel bad, dude! <laughs> I knew I should have bleeped it. Uh, our next email, our final email tonight. We don't have much tonight. We don't. No. I uh, hope I got in there before the Civil War recording was a subject head. It's from James Hunt. Hey, James. Hey, Cool Leyland and the other one. Hey, James. 
<laughs> yeah, because you must be the cool one. Of course. That's fair enough. I cool can, Mike. I can, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Not cool hand Mike. No. No. Hopefully I've got this email sent so that it can be read before your Civil War recording. Well, just mm-hmm. in the nicotine. If not, I will be a tad embarrassed. Damn timey-wimey wibbly-wobbliness. Just a quick email to say how much I enjoyed the No Superheroes, unless Michael is choosing the book series. It is a subject I talk to my non-comic book reading friends a lot, as there is the perception that comic books equals superheroes. Unfortunately, my collection is lacking in these books, but your series has given me a lot of inspiration to try some new comics. New comics as long as they're media tie-ins. Yeah. <laughs> Next time we do it, we should totally do Shade the Changing Man. Because yeah. I remember that being really good. It was really good. I read it recently. And Preacher. We'll shoe on some Preacher in again. Again. Oh, maybe we'll just cover Preacher, generally. Yeah. Saints Killers. We'll do the Saints Killers. Okay. That's, oh, yeah. for the next 15 weeks, mm. do you want to just do, like, two issues of Preacher a week? <laughs> no. That would be dull. We would become a Preacher cast. For 15 weeks, yeah. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, James's email continues with regards to last week's episode on Hellblazer I really need to get these books so probably I won't have listened to your review of the last issues I suspect it was up to your usual standard <laughs> oh, well, low. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as long as that bar's set low <laughs> now Civil War this is my introduction to the wider Marvel Universe. I remember enjoying it a lot because I did not know the characters and so did not spot the uncharacteristic moments. However, after reading a lot of the Marvel Universe and going back and reading classic stories, I have not gone back to Civil War. I'm worried that a boot that made me get into the wider universe isn't as good as I remember. Now that you're covering it, however, I suspect I shall read it again to see if my opinion has changed. I've been listening to the podcast whilst training for the London to Paris bike ride for Diabetes UK, as I've had the disease for 20 years. The length of them is long enough for me to get a good 50-odd miles on the indoor bike when the weather is bad. Well, I hope your bike ride to Paris goes well. Mm How do you ride to Paris over the water? Under the channel. I presume you go under the channel. Unless um, you have, like, scuba gear and you, you drive... On the tunnel, but underwater. Right. That would be awesome. That would be pretty awesome, actually. Or he pedals so fast, he just drives across the water. Like yeah, the flash. Yeah. But that must point out the competition, because he just beat everyone. I know, yeah. Unless he has to start at the beginning. But the coolness factor of seeing him bike on water yeah. would be offset by the fact that he beat everybody. But who'd see him, because he's the only one on the water. That's true. Alright, maybe he goes through the tunnel. Does he have to make it a fur race by starting at the top of Scotland? <laughs> Looking all the way down. Everyone else in London needs to fur. <laughs> well, you hope your ride goes well, James. And because James is smart, he's included a link to give him some money. Yeah. Uh, it's justgiving.com slash James hyphen hunt six. Uh, and I donated, because I'm a mark mm-hmm. for stuff like that. So, uh, we hope it goes well. You have to let us know how it goes. Um, thank you very much, James. Thank you very much, Luke. Thank you very much, Rob. Uh, they were the only people that emailed in this week. If you didn't email in this week, well, you've only yourself to blame, quite frankly. I can't make you do it, you know. Well, if we could, we would. If we could, we totally would. Uh, we'll be right back after this message from somebody else's show. It'll be great. See you in a minute. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Batman. 
like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. And we're back. It yeah. was nice to be back. It was. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Because we're back for good. Once you're back for good. Once you're back. Once you're back. <laughs> <laughs> whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back. No, you were doing the backing vocals, dude. Well, yeah, when you stop. I just want you back. Want you back. And then I come in, want you back for good. I just don't listen to that much Take That. I don't listen to that much Take That, but you can't really avoid that one. No, I lied. I'm a big fan of Take That. It seems to get an awful lot. I like them in their uh, leather leather period where they were all smothered in jelly. Did you really? (laughs) (laughs) Not really, no. Only takes a minute. <laughs> you really wouldn't brag about that, would you? <laughs> anyway, um. You don't have to make eye contact. No, no, not at all. Anyway, this is Michael's show. I don't. I have nothing to do with this one. I show up, I read comics, I go home. Michael writes it, Michael edits it, Michael produces it. I'm just getting all the comic books ready, which means I turn the microphone over to you. This just sounds like a regular show, because we, we all know that. Uh, all the work is done by me. Oh yeah, every 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 single minute every single of Happy minute. Birthday Superman was down to you. It was actually. Get on with it. Okay. Civil War started where everything else starts. It's an idea. Created from a conversation between Mark Miller, Brian Bendis and Brian Hitch about comics in a post 9-11 world. About how the characters within the comics would react. In a world filled with fear, how would people react to superpowered people fighting in busy areas? Described by Miller himself, Civil War was a story where a guy wrapped in the American flag is in chains and the people swap freedom for security. And despite the political subtext included, Miller said that it's only notable if you're looking for it. (laughs) I'm sorry, you really said that? You did. The political subtext of this story is only the if you're looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> not a chance, Mark. Sorry, carry on. Um, and if you're not looking for it, to most people it would just be superheroes fighting each other. Yeah, okay. Rather than create a total ban of superheroes, with Civil War, Miller created a program to train superheroes and essentially make them superpowered police. However, not every character within this would be okay, hence. Civil War. The road to Civil War was told in two series and a one-shot, The Amazing Spider-Man, issues 592 to 531, New Avengers Illuminati, and Fantastic Four 536 and 537. The road to Civil War, as it pertains to Spider-Man. The only one of interest. The only one I was interested in, yeah. Although the Fantastic Four wasn't awful. 
No. I did, I did, I did, I thought it a bit dubious that the thing decided to bugger off to France. Well, that's, that's not the road to. No, that's, yeah, that's just in the middle of Civil War, isn't it? He yeah. decides to bail out. The road to is the thought iron. Yeah. Where the hammer just falls down. Yeah. Which they robbed for the end of Iron Man 2, didn't they? Yeah. The thought hammer falls to the floor. Um, <clears throat> the Road to Civil War is what it's labelled on the cover of Amazing Spider-Man 529, but this story arc is more famous for introducing the Iron Spider costume. I think it's fair to say. Running through issues 529 through 531 of The Amazing Spider-Man, Mr. Parker Goes to Washington was written by Joe Michael Straczynski and drawn by Ron Garney and Tyler Kirkham. The plot centred around Peter and MJ, who were still married at this point, as no deal with Mephisto had yet taken place, and were living with Tony Stark in Avengers Mansion since their house was trashed. Oh yeah, Spider-Man's Avenger. <coughs> oh yeah, Spider-Man is an Avenger now. Double yeah. He had been for years before this. Yeah, I, I, I ignored it. In 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 the new Avengers story arc, where Brian hit, where Bendis jumped on it. I ignored it. Did you? Yeah. See, it was kind of pretty integral. I thought. I still ignored it. So As I do by and large with the Bendis's entire corner of the Marvel universe. It's kind of important in the Straczynski Spider-Man run. I could ignore it. Apparently, you did. Spider-Man <laughs> did, yes. Tony builds Peter an all-new state-of-the-art costume that can glide and is bulletproof. And after taking it for a test drive, Tony invites Peter to Washington to become his right-hand man in trying to get the Superhuman Registration Act passed. Tony isn't for the act, per se, but feels that it may become necessary. At a Senate subcommittee, Tony is questioned about the whys and the wherefores of the act, but is interrupted by an appearance by the Titanium Man, who has been sent with orders to kill Tony Stark. Spider-Man intervenes, and all goes as one would expect, until it turns out that Tony arranged for Titanium Man to appear to buy him more time and hope the act just goes away. Peter suspects, but lets it lie. But back at home, Connecticut is destroyed in a major superhero battle. I say major superhero battle. <laughs> Not really. Not really. No. Um, this was the period where Joe AMS had pretty much lost me with Spider-Man. And this story features all the good and bad of his run in one tiny little package. On the one hand, it's well written and the dialogue is funny and smart. The reasons behind the act are well laid out, even though the reader can see that this is a stupid idea. And Marvel do a fairly decent job of setting out why a smart guy like Tony Stark may think this is worthwhile. Setting Peter up with new gadgets and a new status quo is also moderately well handled. There are problems here as well, though. The Superhuman Registration Act has a lot of problems. Most notably, it seems to contradict the very idea of being a superhero. You either register or quit. It's fairly likely that the villains are going to register, so instantly the ratio of heroes to villains changes rapidly. There are parallels to Prohibition, and, if this were a more recent, gun registration, that gives the story a very ripped-from-the-headlines approach. But the problem with superheroes tackling issues like this are legion, and we have covered them on the show before, but it's worth repeating. The minute you do a story centering around why Superman, for example, doesn't solve famine, you draw attention to the fact that these are supposed to be fun. Thor can't solve the problems of New Orleans, Spider-Man can't rid the world of child abuse, and Superman can't fix the world before breakfast. 
There's also some very smug humour, some of it at the reader's expense. A recent continuity error is addressed in a very condescending manner, and some of it at the expense of some obnoxious editor's notes. In addition, there is the problem of Peter and Tony suddenly being such good friends that Tony trusts Peter above all else, and the rather icky implication that Tony watches Peter and MJ in bed. (laughs) There's some good foreshadowing, such as Spider-Man reading the Lincoln Memorial and Cap shooting. But we are already establishing that Tony Stark is to be the bad guy of this story of moral ambiguity. And once again, if there is a definite bad guy in your story of moral ambiguity, then your story isn't morally ambiguous. You know, just in the Spider-Man title itself. Yes. I kind of liked the the Peter-Tony relationship. Yes. Because it didn't come out of nowhere. No, no, no. In the the Spider-Man boot that Straczynski was writing... Yeah. The relationship was actually quite well handled, and I agree with you, I, I liked it quite a lot as well. Mm. I didn't understand why he, he trusted Peter more than, like, Captain America. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I didn't think it was dull, though. No! The, the Civil War era of Spider-Man was dull and It's bleaker. padded as hell, and, and we will, we will, we will come to that. Did I say dull? Yes, as we go along. But for now, you need to talk to us about Civil War. I did. Around this time, Tony Stark discussed his plans for a S.H.I.E.L.D. Superhuman Registration Act to his Illuminata, Professor X, Black Bolt, Namor, Doctor Strange and Mr. Fantastic. He says that every Marvel event so far has led to this. It's mostly Bendis's, such as Avengers Disassembled, Secret War and House of M. They also send the Hulk into space after he killed 26 people. Tony asks the Illuminati if they would support his act and register... The entire group disagrees and leaves apart from Reed. First of all, one, how did Black Bolt get invited to this party? Um, Because he was the leader of the Inhumans. What have the Inhumans got to do with it? Do they not live on the blue area of the moon anymore? They do. So what do they care about? The Superior Registration Act? No, 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 no. He's he's, he's his little clubhouse. He's had it for years before this. Has he? Yes. Right, and Black Bolt just hangs out there, does he? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, he's uh, like, well, you're you like the leader of the Inhumans. You're pretty important. You should join us. And Black Bolt couldn't, you know. And Black Bolt said nothing. He couldn't deny. Reluctantly <laughs> came. And secondly, the Hulk killed twenty six people. Yeah. Was that a Bendis thing? I've no idea. Because Bendis seems obsessed with this idea well, that the Hulk has to have killed somebody. He has to. And you just want to take his little bald head and smack him about a bit and say, no, Brian, see, the minute you establish that the Hulk has killed somebody, he's not a hero anymore. So is it stretching credulity that he's managed to get into all these fights in the middle of downtown New York and not kill somebody? Yes. But why do you think all those early issues of the Hulk were set in the desert? Yeah. It's a boneheaded idea. Well, I don't like the Hulk being a hero anyway, but... Um, it was to lead into Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk and World War Hulk were okay. No, I mean, this led into it. Yes, I know. This is why they sent him, this is why they yeah. sent him away. Yeah. My interpretation of it was they sent the Hulk out of the way because he was too much of a loose cannon. Right. I didn't know they'd established this whole he's killed people. Yeah. Because, I'm sorry, the minute you do that, he's not a hero anymore. Or he's not a heroic figure anymore. Yeah. I'll go with you that he's not really a superhero in the traditional sense of the word. Mm-hmm. But also, the minute the Hulk kills somebody, Banner kills himself. But he can't. I'm sure he's a smart guy, he could figure a way of killing himself if he absolutely had to. 
How would he do that? I'm sure he'd figure something out. Leap out of a NASA rocket. Yeah, something like that. Either way, Banner, his way Banner would remove himself from the equation if he felt he was any, anywhere responsible for somebody's death. It doesn't okay. fit with Bruce's character that he wouldn't do something about that. But surprisingly, Mark Miller handled that pretty well in The Ultimates. Did he? Yeah. What, The Ultimates were the Hulk at people? Yes. But the Ultimates Bruce, were the Hulk was a cannibal. But Bruce Banner... Was a slimy, odious weasel who bore little resemblance to the Bruce Banner of the comics. Ultimate verse. I didn't mind it so much in the Ultimate verse had his character arc be him becoming the Bruce Banner of the comics, but, but Miller just he, rode him as an odious, slimy scumbag. You're not making it an Ultimate verse then, are you? Oh no, I'm sorry, everything has to be edgy and dark, doesn't it? I did forget. I do apologise. Sorry. <laughs> it's DC, it's just, it's alright with edgy. It's, it's not I don't mind edgy and dark. I don't mind the world being edgy and dark, but right. Bruce Banner being a slimy, odious scumbag, I just I wasn't down with that. I, I thought, thought it was handled pretty well, but okay. I didn't, because it was Mark Miller. Uh, Next! After Reed returns to the Baxter building, he and Sue discuss the repercussions of Tony's act. Butts are called into action when Doctor Doom tries to steal the Mjolnir that has crashed into Earth after the death of Thor in Ragnarok. Uh, the FF stop Doom and leave the hammer behind, and later Donald Blake reaches the hammer and is struck by lightning. And that's pretty much all we'll see of Thor, the uh, Civil War. Yeah. More or less. Because apparently his title doesn't tie into Civil War. Not really. Despite the fact that it kind of does at it's one point. It's kind of mentioned, but it's not Tony really. Tony Stark shows up and goes, oh, you join us, and Thor goes, no. <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> pretty, pretty concise synopsis. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, Civil War issue one is where the main event started. Uh, it was written by Mark Miller and penciled by Steve McNiven, inked by Dexter Vines, lettered by Christopher Eliopoulos, and coloured by Maury Hollowell, and was released May the third, two thousand and six. It had five covers. Uh, the main one by McNiven, showing a montage of characters and events within the issue. A Michael Turner variant of Captain America standing with a blood-spattered shield surrounded by heroes split down in the middle, and a pencil variant. Another Turner cover of Iron Man and Captain America stood in front of the American flag whilst Wolverine stands in fire, because Wolverine sells. And in McNiven... <laughs> and another McNiven cover of the splash page inside of Captain America surfing a plane. See, we've only got the, um, the McNiven cover in the tread. Cut in half. Uh, it's not well. It wrapped around yeah. the issue, didn't it? And so the covers on these comics was it only covered the top quarter of the page, and then Civil War was this huge logo in white. Um, I don't know what I felt of it when we were buying them. I actually liked the covers. Did you? Do you yeah. think they stood out? Yeah. Yeah. Right, fair enough. Well, it it, it made them stood out because it was their own style for the series. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. And I like the widescreen covers. Widescreen as it was meant to be seen. You know, this came out when we were in Florida. Because you bought the issues of it in Florida. So for what? Yeah. Did I? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh. We didn't go to Florida in 2007. Six. We did go to Florida in 2006. Did we? Yes. All right, okay. you were buying Civil War. Fair enough. <laughs> I believe you. That's how I remember. Um, That's how memorable this series was. Yeah. The new Warriors sit with a film crew outside a house in Connecticut that's housing Cobalt Man, Cold Heart, Speed Freak, and Nitro. We don't know who they are either. I know who Speed Freak and Nitro are. Do you? Yeah. Fair enough. Um, they get spotted and raid the house, posing and spouting catchphrases for the cameras. 
Nitro escapes and makes it to an elementary school before Namorita catches him and Nitro explodes, taking the entire surrounding area with him. <coughs> Excuse me, before you carry on, though. Uh, Key for airs, lovely listener. Nitro explodes. Remember that. <laughs> carry on. It's important in the times. <laughs> it's not important in any way, despite it being a key plot point. In the aftermath of the explosion, a group of heroes help with the cleanup and rescues, whilst discussing how this will affect people's views of superhumans. At the memorial service, the mother of one of the victims spits on Tony Stark and accuses him for funding the Avengers and promoting superhuman activity. This will be important. Will it really? Kind of. <laughs> Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch, meets his date outside a nightclub and is attacked and beaten for not having to wait in line to get in. The next day, a large group of heroes gather at the Baxter building and argue over whether the Registration Act will be legislated or not. Above them all, into the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, Maria Hill informs Captain America about how he met his mother. No, she didn't. (laughs) About the gathering, and he refuses to obey her orders to take down anyone who refuses to register after the act becomes legislated. As they argue, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s superhuman hit team surround Cap. He still refuses to register and follow his orders, and after the hit team open fire, smashes his way through them and out of the helicarrier window, landing on an incoming jet. Later at the White House, Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic and Yellow Jacket, yes, not Ant-Man or Giant Man, Yellow Jacket, <laughs> tell the President to go ahead with the registration and leave Captain America to them. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, Civil War issue one, were to begin. At the beginning. It's a good place to start. It usually is. I've always thought. Page one. Uh, I did like the reality TV show. I think the idea of a reality TV show with lower level and C-list superheroes mm. makes sense in the Marvel Universe. Heck, it's a reality TV show, I probably watch. Uh, and I did love that the, the station that they're on is, is MRVL, mm. the Marvel Network, yeah. which I thought was quite, quite good. Um, there's a part of me that hopes that the, the, the TV station was based in Washington, D.C., <laughs> because that would amuse me the Marvel Network in DC mm. I grant you it would probably only amuse me probably and nobody else uh, you mentioned a couple of the bad guys though that nobody knew who they were Speed Freak uh, I know him for having once taken down the Hulk because that's mentioned in the story and that is true yeah uh, in Hulk issue 388 a very good issue in fact mm. by Peter David and Dale Keogh but because it was the 90s Speed Freak had huge knives on his arms of course and I think he actually managed to slice the Hulk was he not twice. called Blood Speed? <laughs> oh, Knife. Yeah. Knife Freak. I do know, um, is it... Cobalt Man. No, 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 one of the new uh, warriors. Yeah. Speedball? Yeah, him. Yeah. I remember him from Alias. Yeah. Is he a junkie super, uh, a superhero? Yeah, yeah. Bubbles. M- Michael, Brian Michael Bendis took a, an innocent, rather naive, and a little bit silly character that Steve Ditko created and turned him and into, turned a, turned drug him into a drug addict. Yeah. Well played, Bendis. If I ever get to write to Marvel, I am going to cut off Jessica Jones's <laughs> head in front of Luke Cage and then stick it on a spike labelled Bendis. Bendis Street. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Just I, so, you know. I like Jessica Jones. Though. I like Jessica Jones, but I just want to, you know, <laughs> all over him for doing that to other people. Um, Nitro, I remember from an issue of Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, issue 55, which had a great Frank Miller cover. Nitro can explode and reform himself at will. It's here, 
page 5 or 6 that the whole premise of the series rests and the problems can be laid purely at the feet of this scene. Nitro is a supervillain. Okay? Okay. We're having this argument again. Yes. Nitro... Yeah, because we're, we're recording now. <laughs> Nitro killed all the people in Stamford, Connecticut right. when Nitro blew himself up. Right. The whole reason for the Superhero Registration Act is built upon this incident mm-hmm. being the new warrior's fault. But it isn't. It's not even as if the public don't know it was Nitro and have inadvertently blamed the new warriors. It's made quite clear that Nitro is responsible. Now, I'm sure that in the Marvel Universe there would be questions about the validity of a reality TV show being allowed to film this. I'm sure questions would be asked about who exactly was negligent and responsible. And I'm sure there would be serious questions about the naivete of the new warriors thinking they could be in any way strong enough to take down Nitro, right? Mm -hmm. But when the dust has settled, Nitro was responsible for this. Something that the story conveniently forgets almost straight away. In addition, Nitro gets away. And nobody seems to make an effort to catch him. He's a major terrorist who just killed hundreds of people and no one's bothered about him unless you read the tie-ins. Well, see here, I shouldn't have to read the tie-ins to get such an important plot point. That should have been in Civil War. Right, okay. Nitro did this. Not Speedball, not the New Warriors, not the fact that they were being filmed for a reality TV show. Okay. But... Rebuttal. Before the New Warriors jumped in... Yes. Okay, Nitro, right, just lounging around, taking a pee, thinking, what should I do today? You know what, I think I won't do anything, I'll just stay in bed all day and perhaps, you know, catch up on the Hunger Games. I heard it's a good uh, book and uh, I want to wanna read the book before I start the film. Maybe you he know? was watching Jeremy Kyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not doing anything, he's not blowing up any kids yet, but, oh, what's this? Some people have just jumped into his house and s- smashed things up. He was provoked. But surely you could argue a case that that's true of any superhero who'd shown up here and decided, ooh, Nitro, he's a bad guy, I'll take him in. Surely this could have happened to Thor. He was brushing his teeth, man. Surely this could have happened to Captain America. Surely this could have happened to Spider-Man. Whether the cameras were running or not, if they'd have found out that this is where Nitro was and gone in to stop him, this could have happened to any one of them. It could have, but if it was but it any, didn't. if it was anyone <laughs> other than them, say if it was Captain America or would have thought, they would have gone, hmm, how can I do this strategically so that no one gets hurt? Really? Captain America would have gone, how can I do this strategically? <laughs> Not according to this story, you wouldn't. In this story, Captain America seems to think that just jumping in both feet with no plan is a strategic plan. Hmm. But we'll get into that later. No, my argument here is Nitro did this. Not the New Warriors. And my argument with it is not so much that this provoked the act, Mm -hmm. it's that this is completely forgotten as of the very next page. No, not the next page, the next page after the next page, where Nitro gets mentioned one more time by Iron Man, where he says, they've got a lead on Nitro, word is he sneaked out of town in the back of a pickup truck. And Cap says, does it matter? (laughs) Apparently not, no. And you're like... Captain America has just said about somebody who's just blown up a huge chunk of Connecticut killing in between six and 900 people, depending upon which comet you read. Yeah. Because they couldn't decide how many people he'd killed. Depends what sounds worse. Yeah. Captain America says, ah, does it matter that he got away? I 
think it does. Yes, I rather do think that it does matter, Cap. Just saying. <sighs> Writers have certain ticks. Page five, and if you've read enough of the work after a while, you start to notice them. We get Mark Miller's most obvious one on page five. We get our first gay joke. I'm impressed he lasted five years, five pages. See, I, I didn't get that. What was? Is it the bondage queen joke? Could we cut out the part where she calls me the bondage queen? Yeah, because Night Thrasher sounds so much straighter. All right. Tell me that's not a gay joke. It could be. Because he makes one in everything he writes. And sometimes they're okay, and sometimes they're a little bit distasteful, in my opinion. But I'm not gay, so maybe... Maybe I'm seeing distaste where there isn't distaste. Not where you're a fan of Mark Miller, so... Well, there is that, but... You know, I was impressed he managed five pages before he did it, and we'll we'll spot a, a few more of his ticks as we go along. Like I said, on page ten, Cap says the dead could run into the nine hundreds, whereas in Spider-Man, Tony says it's six hundred. Mm. Maybe they found a couple of hundred alive in a basement somewhere, like with Clark Kent in the Death of Superman, where he'd managed to stay alive and exercise and eat mm. because he was trapped in a nice big basement with food. And he just did press-ups all day. Kept in an underground Walmart. Because he had nothing else to do. <laughs> Page 11, the Sentinels are here to watch the X-Men. And the public say the Sentinels are the good guys. Yeah. Wolverine does not react well to this. No, he doesn't. As you would expect. Mm-hmm. Although Wolverine and the X-Men by and large stay out of this until it's their turn to fight the Avengers in a couple well, of years' time. the X-Men do. Yeah. Wolverine does not. Does Wolverine get involved? He doesn't, well, he doesn't get it. Oh, yeah, he ends up on Cap's side, doesn't he? Uh, later. In much later on, yeah. Uh, the scene where the woman accuses Tony and makes this all out to be his fault was very heavy-handed. Yeah. You filthy piece of crap! She calls him. And you're like, yeah. Think of the children! Yeah, I mean, see, there's a part of you that's like, you can understand her ire having lost her child. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of had a problem with this scene. It did remind me of the bit in Jaws, where the, the the sphincter kid. What was his name? It wasn't sphincter, wasn't it? Sphincter. What was the kid's name? He got eaten. Footless. No, that's that's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> um, you know who I mean. Kevin Bacon in Jaws. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, you know who I mean. The little yeah, kid who gets uh, eaten because Brody doesn't shut the beach. Yeah. And she lays into it's, him. it's his fault. Well, the difference is, that is actually his fault. Okay. Indirectly. He could have put his foot down and shut the beach. Well, indirectly, yeah, but with Tony Stark, it's not even yeah, indirectly. Yeah, not even indirectly is this Tony Stark's fault. Yeah. So I felt that this was quite heavy-handed. Mm. And a bit, you know, forced. How can, how can we make a superhero turn against superheroes? I just felt it was very forced and, and, and didn't work. Um, there's no page numbers because we're reading this in the trade and I really couldn't be bothered copying, counting pages every time I wanted to make notes. So I'm going to go by scene. Uh, the scene where Johnny Storm backchats the nightclub queue is the first real indication of Miller changing the characters to fit his story. Whilst I have no problems with Johnny going to a nightclub with a girl and being treated like a celebrity, I do have a problem with the characterisation. Johnny is incredibly obnoxious. How is this a changing character uh, characteristics? Because it's kind of difficult. He wasn't overtly obnoxious to civilians in the way that he is here. He right. was slightly obnoxious to Peter Parker because Peter Parker knew his girlfriend, Doris Evans, 
yeah. there was a bit of jealousy there. And he had an ego in that he would show off being the human torch. But by and large, he wouldn't speak to members of the public by calling them, what are you shrieking about, tubby? I got nothing to do with the Speedwall or New Warriors. Those guys were C-list tops. I don't see Johnny Storm saying that. Johnny would probably back away and go, all right, okay, and he'd leave. But then if he did that, we don't have a story, do we? Well, I've always liked this sequence, though. Why? Because I haven't I, I didn't see a difference of character yet. I liked how he reacted because I didn't get that he was being obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious I was getting that he was annoyed because some guy just yelled at him for doing something that had nothing to do with him yeah that's, that's what I'm saying but I don't think Johnny would turn around and call the guy Tubbs I guess not but it, it did it does include one of my favourite lines which what? it does show Hal Jordan how it's done when he says that the next time the woman saves the world from Galactus she can have a free pass because <laughs> he's right he is a little bit right the woman to his, oh it may be a man I don't know to the right of the guy that he's talking to accosts him calling him baby killer yeah is that a heavy handed allusion to Vietnam it could be where some of the Vietnamese soldiers were called baby killers when they came home mm. and it was one of those where you, you know is that not that's, that's a bit rough the guy's a soldier he's just doing his job and, and why I didn't... That felt to me very much like I am making an allusion to the war in <laughs> Vietnam. I am making a political allusion here. And if you don't get it, it does not matter. But if you do get it, look how clever I am. And you're like, no. Not really. Baby killer. This is how bad you are. This is how serious the story yes. is. And it's one of those... I'd, I'd really have a hard time believing the public would turn against the FF this quickly, given, as you say, they've they've saved the world from Galactus. That and they were always and the FF were always out. The, yeah, the FF have never had any secret identities, and it's I don't know. I could see them treating Spider-Man like this, mm. but at the same time, Spider-Man wouldn't have dropped down in front of a nightclub and demanded to go in, would he? No. So. Peter Parker was into the clubbing scene. Yeah, no. Um, no. On the same page, though, page 17, Tom, Tom Bravoat gets a cameo. Tom Bravoat. Just shows up as a newsreader. Why yeah. not? Um, I did like the conversation in the next scene where it's mentioned that under the new bill, the heroes will have a pension plan and annual vacation time. I thought that was quite funny. Sounds good. So, like, if you spot a crime when you're on vacation, you're just not supposed to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, Thanos has come to help. Help us, Wasp, in the car. I'm on my vacation. Yeah, I mean, do you have to clock in and clock out as well? Yeah. So they only have to work eight hours a night. That would be that would be fantastic. Will they be all paid via taxpayers' money? <laughs> because I can't see that being approved of. Can you? And what's the salary? What's the base salary? Do, do people like Captain America and Tony Stark get more money than, say, people like Speedball? Um, they live. <clears throat> so they they don't get thrown in the negative zone then. Uh, no. Okay, fair enough. Because there's even mentions of them going on strike, mm. which, like, the heroes have unions now, yeah. do they? Well, you kind of like the supervillain strike in Final Crisis. There was a supervillain strike in Final Crisis that I'm not remembering. Yeah, yeah. Right. I can't see the heroes being terribly bothered that supervillains go on strike, to be honest. Um, on the one hand, this is funny, and it raised a chuckle. On the other, it shows that this really hasn't been thought through very well. The, super, the registration act, has it? Yes, we can get them all to register. Then what do we do with them? Yeah. 
Because I know Tony ultimately ends up with this big idea of having them all in all the states, doesn't he? A different super team in every state. Yeah. So you want to go to somebody and say, yeah, yeah, Luke Cage, you've lived in New York all your life, haven't you? He's like, yeah. So, yeah. Now you go to Alabama. And Luke could be like, I'm doing what now? Um, the scene on the Shield her- helicarrier is arguably the stupidest scene in issue one. Again, I liked that. All right, photos. Captain America is invited to a meeting with Maria Hill. The way the meeting is depicted instantly made my spider sense tingle. What with Cap all alone in a darkened room surrounded by armed shield guards. But war veteran and master strategist Captain America apparently doesn't spot anything's amiss. There is then this incredibly broadly written scene where Maria Hill essentially twirls her moustache <laughs> all the way through in saying that the act could be passed in less than two weeks and forces Cap to defend himself when she allows the guards to take aim at him. Damn you to hell for doing this, Hill! yells Cap melodramatically. Damn you to hell for making me do this! She screams back, ignorance of the fact that she is solely responsible for this. Yeah. She raised arms against Captain America. No act has been passed at this point in the story. No law is yet in place that would defend her actions here against Captain fracking America. Cap's on first name terms with the President. Cap probably knows the President's dad because it was still um, George W. Bush at this point, wasn't it? Yeah. Bush Sr. served in the war. Cat probably knows him. Probably says hello. Has a cup of tea with him. Christmas card list. The Christmas card list, yes. It's it's it doesn't make any sense. He's best mates with Nick Fury. Um I mean I've, I've, why was Nick Fury not head of Shield at this point? Was that a story point somewhere else? Yeah, it was pretty important actually. Right, because I know in the Captain America book he's a hologram helping yeah, Bucket. He was outlawed and exiled because he broke the law. And was that well before this, or was that so this story could work? That was secret war. Because if if Nick Fury had been in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point, none of this would have gone no, down. No, it was before this. He's only not in it because it was status quo that Nick Fury was exiled and outlawed. Right, so that wasn't somebody saying, well, we need to get rid of Nick Fury to make the story work. No. Right, fair enough. I'll give him a pass on that one. Um, I'll tell you something. This is how this really went down. Okay. All right. In my head, this is where the scene went. Cap says simply to the men under Hill's command, Gentlemen, I know you're following orders, but the bill is not law yet, so you're taking arms against an unarmed man and war veteran. I'm walking out now. I'm getting on the phone with the president and telling him what just happened here. Within the hour, your commanding officer will not be the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's how this really goes down. Okay. In my head. This is followed by Cap going on every single TV news show in the land and talking to reporters across the land saying what just happened. The president will speak to Cap and back down on the act. But Miller doesn't want to tell a story where everybody acts reasonably and in character. So Cap flees and goes underground without even attempting to tell the president what just happened here, without even attempting a peaceful solution, and without a lick of brains. Can you imagine if Cap had walked out of this meeting, found the nearest news reporter on news station, and said, right, I'll run for office then. That'd shut Iron Man up, wouldn't it? Yeah. But would you have a story then? No, you wouldn't, which is my point. 
none of this is written in any way organically. Mm. This scene is stupid. Maria Hill's all, ha ha ha, you must obey me, Captain America. We're very alike, you and I. And Cap's all, we're nothing alike. I will never let this stand. And then they have a pointless fight scene against, essentially, an innocent man. Yeah, but the dialogue is two sides of the act. Is it really? Yeah, because I like this because the representations of the two beliefs of the act. Maria Hill is all for it, whereas Captain America essentially lays it all out, you know. She's saying we're making cops out of them, you know, why should superheroes bypass what police have to go through? Whereas Captain America's saying, yes, but police... Wait, no, that's, that doesn't work out well. Police can get killed as well. Yes, they totally but can. That's the thing with it as well. Go on. And Captain America's saying, well, just like police, superheroes are going out risking their lives and being killed as well, so why do you have to register them? Um, that and knowing a superhero's identity does not make them any less or any more effective. Really? Because none of that information, no government information has ever been leaked, has it now? Oh, no. No government information has ever accidentally been left on a train on a USB stick, which totally happened. Oh, and, and no secret secret information was kept by the government for no. leaking for more than, what, 30 years? So. In some cases. But it's it's highly unlikely that if... I mean, maybe there is entirely possible it'll be on a sheet of paper, so it's not on a computer anywhere, mm-hmm. and it's locked away somewhere in the Oval Office. I could buy then that maybe it wouldn't get leaked out. Because contrary to what 24 would have you believe, yeah. it's probably not that easy to break into the White House. Well, with the um, identities of all those who register... In the Matt Fraction Iron Man, where post Civil War he's the leader of the world. The ruler, Stark. yeah, where he's the ruler of the world now that he's head of Shield. He has it all. He has all the registered superheroes on his hard drive on his computer. I bet that didn't go wrong at all. At some point, it didn't actually. Did it not? Because Matt Fraction uh, is a good writer. Yes. What happened was um, when Norman Osborn takes over as ruler ruler of the world. You know, he's only doing it because, ooh. ooh Norman Osborn, ruler of the world. Oh, yeah. There are so many things wrong with that statement. There are so many things wrong with Dark Reign, and that was one of them. <laughs> but he goes, ooh, I have access to, to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s database. I know who all these heroes are now. But actually, Tony Stark took them all in his head. Yeah. He, he said to this thing, well, because he knew that Norman Osborn would look. He set it up so that if someone did look on it, because he was kicked out so he wouldn't look on it anywhere, mm-hmm. if someone did open that database, it would be deleted and sent to Tony Stark's brain. So <laughs> only he wouldn't know it. By extremists. Yes. Oh, so okay. this annoyed Norman Osborn and thus world's most wanted. Alright, fair enough. I just, I just thought the it's scene gone was now. horribly broad. The database was killed when Tony Stark killed, like, went brain dead. Is he better now? Yeah. Okay. Six issues, he was fine. <laughs> love comics <laughs> there is nothing we cannot solve within a six issue story arc. I don't know Guardians of the Galaxy now <laughs> oh god um, the fight scene is pretty good mm-hmm. once you get past the fact that it's ridiculous uh, it's hindered by McNiven's stiff art which again I know you and I disagree on uh, but the scene where Cap is stood atop an F-16 is awesome oh yeah it has to be said that is a fantastic scene it's ruined by the writing Keep flying, son, and watch that potty mouth, Cap says. 
Has Miller ever read a Captain America comic? Watch that potty mouth, son. And you're just like, oh, for God. Golly, sake. I love me some of those ink spots, eh? Ugh, it's just awful. I'll, awful, ju- I'll take you awful to the awful dialogue. The malt shop. <laughs> Buy you a shake. Yeah, it's oh. like, yeah, the kids still have milkshakes. And you're just like, Cap's not this out of touch. Look, look at it this way, right? If oh, he no, was, he listens to Radiohead. Yeah. If Cap went into the army at 18, right. was injected the super, se- super soldier serum at 19, right. he worked in the war for two years, sir? Yeah. In the comics, not in the film. Puts him at 21, maybe 22 when he goes into the ice. He knows his way around the uh, English language, then. Yes. So at 22 years of age is when he goes into suspended animation, right? Right. So that means he's only 22 years of age when he comes out of suspended animation, right? Right. Most 22-year-olds could handle an iPhone if they'd never seen it before and you gave it to them and showed them quickly how it worked. Yeah. Cap's not a dunderhead. No. Why is Miller writing him as if he's some 60-year-old out-of-touch man? Um, because it's Miller. See, even you're bad-mouthing him. And you like him. Yeah. A I, bit. I, I, well, I like Civil War, because if you don't think too much about it, it's just <laughs> the summer move. But you're so, sorry, you're making so, me think about so it. I'm so. sorry, you're making you actually think about the story, which <laughs> yeah, is, is counterintuitive, isn't it? All right, for Maximum carnage. All over again. Yeah. Well, Sorry despite about. all that, I, I do love the secretary's line about Cap taking the pilot for a hamburger. Yeah. And making sure that the jet wasn't damaged. Yeah, because that is Captain America. Because that is Captain America. So my thinking is he would have gone to the White House straight away yeah. and said, you know the person you've got in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D.? This is what she just did. But then Tony Stark sat there going, yeah, twirling his moustache. Twirling his moustache, yeah. Um... I pretty much said that in my notes. This story has a faulty premise. The characters are all badly written and forced into behaviour Miller needs them to do in a way to make the story work rather than having them act like themselves and the art is muddy and stiff. still really like the art. Do you? I, I really like McNiven's art, uh, yeah. Fair enough. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of McNiven, but whatever. Uh, Spider-Man's contribution to Civil War in his own book, Amazing Spider-Man, took the form of a seven-part storyline entitled The War at Home inexplicably retitled The Night the War Came Home for Part 2, but then called The War at Home again for Part 3 onwards. Running through amazing issues 532 through 538, this saga took two distinct halves. In the first half, running through the first four parts, Peter Parker, still reeling from the deaths of nearly 600 people in Connecticut... Not 900. Not 900, apparently. ...being led into revealing his secret identity on national television following the declaration of the Superhuman Registration Act. Spoiler. Spoiler. As Tony Stark suddenly becomes a dictator, and Peter, still grateful for all that Tony has done for him, sides with him on the side of registration initially. The fallout has Peter taking stock, and pretty soon Tony has whipped up an army of super types to deal with the holdouts. Holdouts that include Captain America. After a brutal hero versus hero battle with Cap, Spidey manages to latch onto Cap's shield, and he webs it in a place where Cap will know he put it, and that he left it for him. Because for the first time, Spider-Man is on the side of law. So why does he feel so wrong? This feeling only increases when Peter learns that the holdouts are being held in a super-secret holding cell that has netted Tony Stark contracts of $2 billion. Peter is put out to learn that the cell is in the negative zone, and Tony is locking people up without trial, without due process, without anything. 
Peter realises he's on the wrong side, and as he tries to get MJ and May out of Stark Towers, Iron Man attacks him. Uh, issue 532, which was the first part of this story, was so talky and so little of actual interest happened, one can only assume that this level of padding takes an inordinate amount of skill. Whilst the dilemma Peter is put in, is it right to follow the law when the law is wrong, is interesting, Tony is starting to be written as so set in his ways, so willing to turn in his former friends and use lethal force to do so, that his position becomes borderline fascist. Does Straczynski go to the Bendis School of Comic Writing? Straczynski? Padding 101. Throughout Straczynski's run on Spider-Man, I didn't get the feeling that he was going to, to padding, sorry, pacing 101. No. Well, this seven-hour issue storyline, God, it's padded. Well, yeah. Dull is the word. Okay. Um, Titans now. Yes. Uh, Wolverine 42. Uh, Wolverine takes it upon himself to track down Nitro. Oh, good. I'm glad that wasn't just forgotten. No. Did he kill him? Uh, well, well, we're not up to that yet. Oh, right, okay. Because I'm, I'm writing in the times as I do the notes. I have no idea how these end, and frankly, I don't really care. <laughs> uh, She-Hulk issue 8 has She-Hulk thinking about how the registration act will affect her dual lives, and Tony Stark gives her a memory card that lets her shut down the new Warriors websites. Uh, Frontline issue 1 has Tony Stark been interviewed by Ben Urich about his support for the act. So Tony Stark is now shutting down people's websites. Secretly. So this predated SOPA, didn't it? Yeah. Where people can shut down your website if, it, if it's got any content on it that, uh, that they don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder which side we're supposed to think is the bad one in this morally ambiguous story. Civil War 2... Uh, yeah, Civil War issue 2 was done by all the same people, or at least I think it was, and I didn't bother looking into the credits. Uh, it also has at least you're honest. five covers. The main one, by McNiven, shows Spidey on the left with Captain America and the others who oppose the act, and Robo-Spidey on the right, alongside Iron Man and supporters of the act. Also had a pencil variant, at least I think it had a pencil variant, it was grey and white, so that counts as a pencil variant. Uh, it had a Turner cover of Iron Man standing in front of the Young Avengers with Spidey acting all dramatic in the background and also has a pencil variant. The final cover is by McNiven and is a reprint of the Spider-Man unmasking page. Photos? Uh, after finding 15 supervillains beaten and chained up, Maria Hill and the hit team realise that Captain America is working with the team. The seven days left until the act becomes legislated, Stark's initiative becomes a popular and trusted team and replacement of the Avengers. The Fantastic Four are torn apart as Reed becomes sucked into working on projects for the act, and when Sue asks about Project 42, Reed refuses to tell her on the grounds that it's classified information. Twenty minutes before the act is put into place, Stark begins having doubts about whether he's right or not. Moral ambiguity, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> for the last time. 24 hours later, the act has been legislated, and a S.H.I.E.L.D. hit team chases the Patriots of the Young Avengers. They capture him, and the Young Avengers are shackled and placed in a transport truck. As the convoy drives to a S.H.I.E.L.D. prison camp, Cap and Falcon, who are undercover in the truck, use Wiccan, a member of the Young Avengers, to transport them into one of Nick Fury's old safe houses that is now being used as a resistance safe house. As they settle in, they see Stark's press conference on TV and Spider-Man say why he's backing the act. He then unmasks and reveals himself to the world as Peter Parker. 
Uh, once again, we've got no page numbers because this isn't a trade, so we're going to be talking about scenes rather than specific pages. We instantly know when we open page two of the comic that we're in a Mark Miller comic book. How? Well, the first page has the Vulture and the Grim Reaper chained up and beaten. Both have busted noses, swollen eyes and a few teeth missing. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but, but superhero comics should be about action rather than violence. Unless it's a Punisher Max comic. In Aura. which case, I'm not averse to the odd head blowing up. Or a Miller comic. Or a Mark Miller comic, yeah. Uh, I did like, as you leaf through the issue, that the Daily Bugle headlines were all from other story arcs. Mm-hmm. And are actually by other artists. That's an Addy Granovs, Tony Stark, isn't it? And is that a John Cassidy, Captain America? Could be. From his Captain America art that he did, that I've never read. But I'm sure it's very good. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not, who knows? Maybe not. I can't remember who wrote it. John Nay Reba wrote it, didn't he? No, I Reiber. Never read it, so... Um, the Reed Sue scene is actually loaded with subtext. As Sue casually mentions that the Superior Registration Act has put half the Christmas list in jail, and then he's drawn in shadow as she leaves. I thought that was quite nice. Mm-hmm. That's very subtextual, like that she's half in shadow and half not. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was quite clever. Uh, this would be quite well done if Reed was characterised in any way competently. Yes. Reed is an action adventure hero that is a scientist, but he's rarely portrayed as vague and so obsessed with his work he's completely oblivious to Sue. Granted, McNiven doesn't draw a particularly attractive Sue Storm, or anyone else for that matter. Sue asks what this number 42 thing is. Presumably Reed is working on the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything. Of course. Throw everything in the prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's your answer to everything. Um, now, I get that Spider-Man uh, flying past the Bugle is to emphasise JJ's statement. Yeah. Yes. But, this is where logic comes in now. How did he manage to get from Washington to here so fast? Do you know, I was just going to argue with you that that's drama, that he says only the smart heroes are going to register. Yeah. And then I remember, yeah, he's in Washington at this point, isn't he? <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear me. But, well, I'm not sure how the, the timing will work out, because this, this issue... Because the next thing, Tony Stark's at his penthouse. 20 minutes before the thing goes on. So this issue takes place over two weeks. Right, okay. So it's perfectly feasible that he could be in New York, though, depending upon when these scenes take place. Because Tony's not in Washington anymore either. No. Right, okay. So maybe that isn't a goof. Maybe. It was funny, though, when you thought that it was. Mm. So I quite like that. Uh, The Happy Hogan-Tony Stark scene is quite nice, as Tony is shown having a few doubts instead of being shown to be an arrogant ass. Moral ambiguity. Which makes a change for this particular story. Um, However, the scene where Patriot is pursued is troublesome. Firstly, the irony of a character named Patriot being fired upon by government shield agents is surely intentional irony. Only if you're looking for it. Only if you're looking for it, yes. Secondly, said shield agents only realise Patriot is bulletproof after they've opened fire on him with the chain guns. So the Superhero Registration Act gives them license to kill, does it? See, I got that it was rubber bullets. How, why did you get that? I don't know, I just always did. Right. I get the whole political subtext they're going for, presumably the Patriot Act, again, irony. Yeah. But whereby people could be investigated and detained if they were suspected terrorists. But the Patriot Act didn't give the military right to open fire on civilians. No. As far as I recall. So I guess Miller is amping up the act to make his point, which is fine 
if he was being subtle or consistent. Case in point, on the next page, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents clarify that Patriot is indestructible. If they knew he was indestructible, why were they surprised when he was bulletproof? Isn't the fact that he's indestructible kind of implying that he's also bulletproof? Unless they are, as you say, rubber bullets. But I don't believe for a second Miller would use rubber bullets because Miller's all about the violence. Yeah. So, uh, was that a contradiction? No, I don't. Or am I reading too much into it? Uh, It's a Miller story, so it's wise if you don't read too much into it. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Nick Fury is said to be into hiding. As I said, he went into hiding after the government became aware of his secret war in the aptly named event Secret War. Was that anything to do with secret wars? No. So that was just cashing in on the name? Could be, yeah. Uh, And the fact that Secret War actually was a war that was secret. Okay. (laughs) Alright, that works. Yeah. I've never read that. Was it any good? It was alright. The art was awful, though. Who was the artist? Don't know. Gabrielle Delotto? No. Sounds vaguely familiar? Delotto. Oh, It'll come he, back to you when we're not thinking about it. He had a funny name. It. He had a funny name. Yeah. <laughs> was he from that Chinese sweatshop again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> DC use. Oh, the Marvel sweatshop. The Marvel sweatshop. <laughs> where, they, where they do get Christmas gifts. Do they? A woolly jumper. Yeah, fair year, enough. Um, if they work hard enough. If they work hard enough. Peter Parker unmasking was one of the big selling points of the series and hyped up quite a lot, both before and after the event. Marvel messed up because of delays and the big reveal was actually revealed before the comic was released it didn't really matter as Marvel had pretty much spoiled it to get publicity anyway Um, at the time I actually hated this development feeling that the main Spider-Man book hadn't really fully justified Peter's position other than he was caving into Tony's bullying given how much pain Peter endured at the hand of bullies in high school and how much he stood up for them since I didn't buy it I still think it was very much a case of the story needing a big hook for sales purposes, coming up with the hook, and then trying to make it work in the story, which they almost pull off. Not Miller. No, he didn't care. Even current Spider-Man writer JMS. No, it took Peter David to take this idea in the other Spider-Man title of the time, Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man, to run with it. Peter David would show us what Gia Jonah Jameson thought about this. Peter yeah. David would show us what Flash Thompson thought about it. He even brought back Deborah Whitman mm. and had Betty Brandt tell us, instead of having seven issues of padding, yeah. Peter David told about three or four different stories of how the people in Peter's life reacted to the news that he was Spider-Man. But that could be, it's just a wacky notion, Peter David's a good writer. Could be that. It could be that, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um... Issue 2 was better than the last issue, but it was still problematic. So far, the Resistance have been shown to be in the wrong, but the story has been written in such a way that they're the ones whose side we should be on. But Miller's not really done anything to earn that position. Mm. He's done a lot to explain why the Registration Act is wrong, but at this point, he's not quite made the whole thing black and white. No. Has he? It's, it's, it's kind of difficult to explain it. He's, he's clearly making it that we, as the reader, should be on the side of non-registration. But he's not really done a very good job in explaining us. why yeah. we should think that registration is a bad idea at this point. Mm. But he's clearly writing it in such a way that that's obviously the side that he falls down on. Yeah. So I, I do kind of like, in hindsight, I like the Spider-Man unmasking scene. I like Jonah fainting. 
Yeah. I thought that was quite funny. But I kind of think, like, once again, hindsight, it's funny to see how Peter is so confident in what he's doing and in the act that he will unmask himself in front of the world, only to then have regrets. Hmm and wish you didn't do it well in the Spider-Man book he's actually physically sick yeah after doing this so fair play Straczynski does, does give us a bit more meat to play with mm-hmm. um tie-in wise Thunderbolts 103 his Iron Man ally himself of the Thunderbolts to create a strike force to apprehend the unregistered superheroes uh, New Avengers 20 is apparently a Civil War tie-in, but it's actually the last issue of the collective story arc. So it don't matter then? Not really. All right. uh, issue 533 of Amazing Spider-Man deals with the fallout of the decision to unmask. And whilst it does contain a lovely funny moment where Peter just gets fed up of taking a call from Reed and Sue Richards and May and Mary Jane simultaneously, he just webs the phones together and lets them talk to each other. There is, again, a scene where Tony gives a press conference where he vows that any supertype that remains unregistered will be brought down by any means necessary that leaves no doubt in the mind of the reader which side of the argument we're supposed to be on. It also features a glorious continuity gaffe whereby May's maiden name is given as Fitzgerald, not Riley. Which I'm pretty sure, if I recall correctly, had all the Ben Riley fans up in arms. Yeah. That was quite an incredible goof. <laughs> uh, Frontline issue two focuses on superheroes on both sides of the act and uh, an Atlantean super sleeper agent. Because why not? Why not? New Avengers 21 focuses on Cap recruiting members for his resistance, uh, which was actually quite good. Was that? It, um, around this time, the Civil War, um, Bendis was just having one issue tell a story of how a member of the New Avengers would react. Right. Okay. And it was quite good. And every issue would have a, a different artist as well. At the end of every issue, Cap would show up and recruit them, would he? Yeah, actually. <laughs> uh, for this one, I think it was um, Howard Chaykin. Right. Did the Captain America one. Oh, God, I like Howard Chaykin. Uh, Wolverine uh, 43 shows Wolverine fighting Nitro. Fantastic Four 538 focuses on each member's views on the Registration Act. Uh, X Factor 8 also focuses on each member's views. Frontline 3 focuses on Captain America's team and the arrested Speedball. Thunderbolts 104 has the T-Bolts hold down some resistant members. Cable and Deadpool 30 shows Deadpool deciding to hunt down heroes who haven't signed up yet, and so goes for the Great Lake Avengers as their easy targets, but it turns out they've already signed up. Hilarity ensues. Well, it is Deadpool. Uh, yeah. Civil War 3... Uh, once again has five covers. I'm shocked. The main one by McNiven is a close-up of angry battle-damaged Cap versus Iron Man. Get yours from Toys R Us today. <laughs> and then a McGuinness cover of Thor slamming his hammer into the ground, a Turner cover of Robo Spidey standing on Cap's shield and a pencil variant, and a reprint of McNiven's Return of Thor splash page. Yes. Yes. Carry on. Once again, it's done by all the same people. At least I hope so, so that this is actually correct. I believe it. Reed is at Wakanda, asking Black Panther to join the Registration Act, but he refuses to and tells Reed to spend more time with Sue. Elsewhere, Yellow Jacket and the Wasp tries to recruit Doctor Strange, but he's gone into isolation in the Arctic until the whole thing blows over. And at Professor X's school, Tony visits Emma Frost. Frost says that the X-Men refuse to, and as Tony leaves and talks about neutralising them, some of the X-Men join him. 
Cap, Hercules, Daredevil and Goliath sit in a diner discussing their new secret identities. Nick Fury supplied them until they receive a call from Cable that a petrochemical plant is on fire leaving 400 or 900, depending on which issue you read him, 100 people trapped inside. They teleport there and meet up with the rest of the resistance until Cable notices that the plant is a division of Stark Industries and realises that it's a trap. <laughs> Very good. Before they can escape, however, all the teleporters are taken down, and Iron Man and his initiative show up with S.H.I.E.L.D. hit team surrounding the resistance. Iron Man talks to Cap, telling him about the reasons why the act is needed, and Cap gives him five minutes to tell him about his plans. Cap offers his hand out, and Tony takes it, unaware that Cap has placed a bug that messes up his armour. The resistance then attacks the initiative and S.H.I.E.L.D., and a large-scale fight takes place. Tony's suit reboots itself and flies into Cap, separating him from the rest of the battle. Hercules sees this and attempts to rescue Cap, who's being badly beaten. Before he reaches him, though, lightning hits the ground, revealing the God of Thunder, Thor. Um, right, issue three. Uh, first of all, page one. The camera's all been jammed in Peter's face and the microphone's BBC, CNN, MSNBC. Uh, why a comic geek speaking fanboy radio at a press conference? Um, advertisement. Like this. Yeah, cause I mean, I suppose a superhero... Did they know that a superhero was going to unmask? Maybe. Possibly. And they want to get a photo with them so they can frame it in the comic shop. And <laughs> get, get it to it, sign get, it. Get it so, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair enough. All the variant covers they sell there as well. Yeah. Get uh, your black Spider-Man unmasking. Get your classic Spider-Man unmasking. Did they have to Did they have to pay to have BBC, CNN and MSNBC and all that stuff? I'm assuming so. Um, and then maybe the, the comic geek speak and all that paid to be in it. Or maybe it was a, pre- a quid pro quo thing that they let them have the news story in exchange for allowing you to use the real. Maybe. Because traditionally when the news is on in comic books, it's a fake news, isn't it? Like in Gotham, it's GNN, isn't it? Yeah. The Gotham News Network and, and so on and so forth. It doesn't know me how both Peter and Tony are as smug as each other, though. Yeah, there's a very smug grin on their face. Tony being smug, you're like, yeah, fine, whatever, he's just smug, scumbag in this. But Peter being... Yeah. Well, you know, it ultimately didn't matter, did it? Page two. So let me get this right. Reed's brother-in-law, a man he's known since he was a mere teen, is in hospital. And he hasn't visited him once, nor has he checked with Sue how he is in a few days. He's so busy marvelling at Wakanda and working on the Superhero Registrations Act that he's forgotten to check in on his partner and wife. Reed's really clueless, isn't he? Yep. In this story. Oh, Miller's really clueless. As to how Reed Richards should be written. Yes. Yeah, okay, fair. I'm glad we're in agreement about that. Um, Tony and Emma Frost on page four, and I'm going to stop doing page numbers again in a minute because I lost count, uh, have a friends with benefits relationship that kicks in whenever neither one of them is dating. I didn't understand how Tony's now using Cap as the yardstick to beat all others. Mm. I didn't get that. Cap wasn't in Stanford when it blew up. And they were best buddies when it happened. Yeah, so I have a hard time believing that the public would turn Cap, sorry, would turn against Cap of all people. Mm. I can totally see him being, you know, not in favour of Spider-Man, but he's now on the good side, so the reputed good side. I did like the bit about why should the X-Men help Tony Stark when where were the Avengers when Genosha died. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice continuity point. Mm. Where were you when our babies were burning? 
So there is that one line which mm. kind of puts it too far in yeah, that direction. because it's Miller, isn't it? And, you know, if you can have a baby being burned in a comic book, why the hell not? Mm-hmm. It's not at all tasteless. It's more sales. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, the scene where Cap, D.D. Herc and Goliath discussed their new secret identities was funny. I did find it quite amusing. Mm. Um, but again, emphasised how boneheaded some of this is. Why is Cap underground when his secret ID is pretty much public knowledge anywhere? Why is he not, therefore, taking the far more logical and less bloodthirsty option of tackling the act in the open? Look, if a bill as polarising as this were to go through Congress and Captain America of all people spoke out loudly and forcefully against it, like I said, maybe even threatening to run for office, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it would shrivel on the vine. Hell, if he just mentioned that Nitro, remember? Remember Nitro? The guy who was actually responsible for this... If he just mentioned that he was still on the loose instead of organising a witch hunt, maybe Tony would be better off finding the man who was actually responsible. Or has he left that up to Wolverine? Yeah, yeah. Wolverine's little one-man hit squad. Wolverine's Iron Man's one-man hit squad, is he? Yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, The scene where Iron Man lures Cap and his team into a trap is quite well executed. Although, I'll be honest, when I was reading this for this, I was thinking, this has got to be a trap. This yeah. is too obvious. If I thought that, Why surely Captain Master America? Tactician Captain America would have thought, this seems to be a cunning ruse. Yeah. But um, the, I have to say, I actually thought this scene was pretty stupid. Did you? Because Tony's plan to herd all the Resistance members into one place actually relies on all the members coming to the place. All of them. Yeah. Does it really take every single member to rescue 400 people? Now, 400's a lot of people, but they are superheroes. Yeah. And what if not everyone came, or only Cap, Dede, and Hercules' life showed up? Oh, what if Cap had gone, this sounds like a trap, I'm not going? What if this was the day that, you know, Nick Fury, not Nick, Luke Cage, decided to take Daredevil and the Falcon round to the, to, to some... To Jessica's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tea. Yeah. What if not all of them showed up? Um, my favourite bit in this was, one, none of them... Tony's planned this. It's a trap, right? Yeah. A trap, trap. But he leaves a big sign that says a division of Stark Industries yeah. lying around. <laughs> Which I thought was good. Yep. Hey, you fell for my trap and B. It was blazing that it was a trap. But my favourite was panel two. Yeah. Do you remember that scene in Firefly where Mal is stood next to Jane and Jane's trying out the radios? Yeah. And he's going, uh, I can hear you perfectly well. And Mal's just stood behind and going, that's because I'm stood right here. Yeah. Yep, you're still coming through clearly because I'm stood here. There's a scene here where Cap and Cable are back. talking to each other on the little earbud microphone things. They're right next to each other. But no, 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 Cap's a little <laughs> bit in the background, so of course you can't hear him over the burning fire. No, he isn't. He's right next to him, dude. I thought I was hysterical. <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, it's a Mark Miller comic. How do we know this? Well, every single punch that Iron Man throws at Captain America shatters Cap's bones or breaks his teeth. Mm. Every like, single one. I like how Cap and Tony are both as dumb as each other. Yeah. Oh, I'll rush into your trap. Oh, I'll shake hands with you. Yeah, it, it doesn't particularly paint either of them in a in a good light, does no. it? To be honest with you. They are, as you say, they're both written to be dumber than dirt. Um, you, but you know what's weird about this issue? I enjoyed reading this one. 
Yeah, because something happened. Well, yeah, you can argue that something happened. And I suspect it's the same kind of enjoyment that is derived from watching the real housewives of Dewberry County or Miami or whatever that filth is that your mum watches. Or even Jeremy Kyle. You can't believe that people this stupid or vile are allowed to exist. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, neither side's portrayed particularly well, most notably because you just said they're, they're painted as being incredibly dumb. But Tony's acting all Gestapo-like because he's in the right. But the underground movement don't seem to be particularly smart either. There's so many ways Cap could bring this to a halt, from the obvious idea that we've mentioned of going to the president directly, to the more media-savvy way of debating the issue on TV, to the direct ridiculous. But there's no but very effective idea of saying, I am running for president. Can you imagine Tony Stark's reaction to that? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I get in office, Tony, and I will get in office, Tony, I am just getting rid of this act. So you've got, what, six months? Yeah. Um, in addition, why the, the hell has no one, not one single person, brought up Nitro? Uh, Wolverine's doing all that. It's Wolverine dealing with yeah, that, yeah. is it? Right. We, we don't have to worry about uh, Nitro, because does he, does he really matter? No, no, apparently the, the major terrorist who caused the explosion that kicked off this whole storyline, he's irrelevant. Yeah, of course. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Civil War X-Men issue 1 shows the X-Men being split up by the Registration Act. The Daily Bugle newspaper was released, which just talks about the Civil War as though we lived in the Marvel Universe. And uh, again, X-Factor 9 focuses on each member's views on the act, as well as other X-Factory events. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, issue 534 of The Amazing Spider-Man features a sequence so replete with false jeopardy, it's laughable. Spider-Man starts to get suspicious that Tony knows he has a spider sense, with Spidey saying, I never told Tony I had a spider sense. This is hysterical on so many levels, not least that Spider-Man has forever been shooting his mouth off about having a spider sense. So much so, Peter David made a gag out of it in the Friendly Neighbourhood Spider-Man series, which was running at the same time as this series. Also, given that the Green Goblin first learned Spider-Man's secret ID by neutralising his spider sense, one can assume keeping it a secret is a boat that long since sailed. In addition, if Captain America speaks out about registration, people would surely listen. I'd argue the president would be more likely to listen to Captain America than I am, man. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to paint the president as being reasonable in this storyline in oh, any way, do they? No. Because that would go against the story that they are trying to tell. Well, I paint anyone being reasonable. As being reasonable, yeah. yeah. Uh, Frontline issue four has Ben Urich being attacked by the Green Goblin and Sally Floyd being in the middle of a shield raid on the resistance. Who's Sally Floyd? Uh, oh, right. she's been in Frontline since issue one. It's just going to be us mentioning her. All right, fair Essentially, right. Frontline is uh, Ben Urich and Sally Floyd are two reporters. One of them uh, goes and reports the resistance members, one of them reports the initiative members, and they tell both views. Right. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Young Avengers Runaways issue one has the Runaways being attacked by S.H.I.E.L.D. So the Young Avengers team up with them and help them. New Avengers 22 focuses on Luke Cage having to leave his wife and child because of the act and joins Cap's team. Uh, That was by Lionel Francis Hugh. Good. Uh, Wolverine 44 continues with Wolverine and Nitro's fight, but Namor has sent Atlantean soldiers to kill Nitro to avenge the death of Namorita. Pity he couldn't do that before Connecticut. Yes. Uh, yes, Namor 
sent these Atlanteans. You know, Namor, he said he wasn't getting involved. Yeah, Namor in a few issues' time says, it's not my war, why do I care? That, he's already said that as well, yeah. Was he? Yeah. Right, fair enough. Um, Fantastic Four 539 involves the Thing discussing both views of the act and decides to leave the country. Yeah, he's not joining the act because he thinks it's he doesn't agree with it, but at the same time he's not going to fight his friends. So he, he just goes to France, doesn't he? Where he <laughs> he's meets, the smartest guy, isn't he? Where he meets up with an analogue team of the Justice League yeah. and they end up fighting an analogue of Mole Man. It was actually quite a funny issue. <laughs> Uh, Frontline 5 shows the trial of Speedball. Can I ask why Speedball's on trial? Oh, because it was all his fault. But it kind of wasn't. It was. If memory serves, he Shush. he may have got blown up. Nitro, ni- no, 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 Nitro doesn't matter, but Speedball does. Yeah, Speedball's yeah. on trial for a crime he didn't commit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. This story completely works. <laughs> Uh, this is from the guy that likes it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Panther 18 is the wedding of Black Panther and Storm, but Cap and Iron Man um, end up leaving because they still argue over the Registration Act. So let me get after this huge fight. It could have been before it. To they be go to Black Panther and Storm's wedding together. Yeah, because <laughs> he, he invites everyone. And they're like, well, suppose we do like Black Panther. He's of, um... I love the Black Panther. I think the Black Panther's a great character. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I don't think either one of them would have gone to his wedding. Oh, it's like you know how there's always an argument at a wedding party. <laughs> Those are yeah, times yeah. Cap and Iron Man being the gay couple that argue at the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a Miller story. If Cap and Iron Man were gay and argued, oh, I'm sure he's already done that somewhere. If, if like, like, if they were just like the couple from Modern Family. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sitcom I'd watch. <laughs> uh, Miss Marvel 6 has, well, Miss Marvel Register. That took 22 pages, did it? Yeah. Hmm, well, I don't know. Hmm, but I should. Hmm, but I don't really. Hmm, but I really should. <laughs> Thunderbolts 105 shows Cap and Baron Zemo making a deal involving Cap's belongings and some Grandmaster or something. You know, Baron Zemo, the guy who essentially killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Civil War X-Men 2 has a fight between Bishop and the X-Men because Bishop joined Tony. Did he? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, heroes... Did nobody bash the Bishop? No, they did not. Did they not? They did not. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a euphemism. Heroes for Hire 1 sees a group calling themselves the Heroes for Hire. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, given the title of the book. Uh, take down heroes who haven't signed the act yet. You'll notice all these times are about people taking down people who haven't signed the act. Startlingly original. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New Avengers 23 continues with Sp- the Spider-Woman triple-crossing story arc between Hydra, Nick Fury, and Tony Stark. And nobody made a threesome gag. Matt Miller must have wrote that. <laughs> uh, Wolverine 45 has Wolverine fight Namor. Where did Nitro go? He's not important. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Uh, Cable and Deadpool 31 continues with Deadpool taking down unregistered heroes and Cable using the act to his advantage. You're right, there's definitely a trend here. Yeah. Uh, Young Avengers Runaways, as the Runaways say they want to stay out of the war despite the Young Avengers' efforts to get them to join Cap's team. And in Miss Marvel, issue 7, what does Miss Marvel do? Takes down a group of heroes who've not registered. Exactly that. Ex- have you read this issue? <laughs> I have not. No, it was just it was just a guess, dude. Just a guess. 
So, Civil War 4, young Michael. Uh, Civil War 4. This time, actually, only had three covers. Ooh. Uh, the main one by McNiven shows Thor smashing through Cap Shield, whilst members of the Initiative look angry, happy, or even horrified. Or just goofy in Mr. Fantastic's case. Well, he kind of looks like he's horrified, but then he's got his dead eyes and his half-sided, lopped grin. Yeah. Like, very stupid. The day his powers fail him. <laughs> It'll be a very bad time for his powers like, to like, fail him. Like in the movie where he's all slopping everywhere. Like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Um, there was a Turner cover of Thor standing on top of the fallen... Um, on the bodies of fallen Hercules, Daredevil, and it also had a pencil cover. Civil War Part 4 was, I think, done by the same people. You just couldn't be bothered rehearsing. Yes, and goes thusly. Thor turns to the Resistance members, who are horrified that the Thor, who is now alive again after believed to be dead, is now turning against them and brutally attacking them. Cap is barely standing, having taken a beating that would have taken down any other person. But of course, he is not any other person. And Tony activates a sound wave that puts Cap through intense pain and stops the rest of the Resistance. However, Hercules takes Iron Man out, stopping the sound wave. The Resistance surprise attacks the Initiative and the Falcon flies Cap to safety. Goliath decides to turn on Thor, but Thor shoots a lightning bolt straight through his chest, killing him. Before he can strike again, Sue Storm creates a force field around the Resistance, allowing them to escape. After they do so, Reed shuts down the Robo-Thor. The Initiative stand around the dead body of Goliath. Sue walks away from Reed, and Spidey says he thought the act was so that nobody would get hurt anymore. Moral ambiguity. As the initiative recover and Spidey wonders if he joined the right side, the resistance also recover and members decide to leave and join the initiative after the previous battle. As they leave the safe house, a shadowy figure watches from above. At the funeral of Goliath, Tony says that he paid out for all the expenses, and the woman who spat in him earlier comes up to him and gives him her dead son's favourite toy, Iron Man, to remind him that he, what he's doing is the right thing. Reed also notices that Peter, Aunt May, and Mary Jane are acting suspicious. God. <laughs> that night, Johnny and Sue Storm leave Reed and Ben and decide to join the Resistance. Later, at the Avengers Tower, as Tony and Reed discuss the, decease, the decreasing in numbers of Initiative members rather than his wife leaving him, <laughs> they recruit the Thunderbolts. Oh, God. Um... The opening sequence where Thor attacks just feels wrong. Uh, I know how the Thor story turns out, so there's a reason for Thor feeling off. But both Dagger and her line, oh, this is wrong, this is really wrong, and especially Cap's line to Tony, do you think I'm really going down to a pampered punk like you? Feel off. Mm. Um, I mean, Cap has been mischaracterised before. So it's entirely possible that Miller just hasn't got the skill to nail cap speech patterns, even if the earlier line about potty mouth was a gag. But I don't know. I, I don't see Cap saying this. I don't see the word punk even being in Cap's vocabulary. Hmm. If, if you think at this point that this was written, what was it, 2007? Six. 2006. So at that point he came out of the ice in 1996. Yeah. Why would he even know what punk was? Unless he's a closet Sex Pistols fan. Well, when when he came back and Tony Stark gave him his radio. In Man Out of Time. Yeah. Which was very good, Man Out of Time, by my word. Yeah. I like that a great deal. Um, I 
I mean, granted, if Cat was being treated as a character that had any brains, this sequence wouldn't be happening in the first place, but it is, so we may as well talk about it. Uh, we get the big second act turning point, where Thor kills Goliath in cold blood again, because we've read all the story now, we know that this is Claw, a, th- a clone of Thor, rather than the famous God of Thunder himself, but we see that the right side are the side that seem to be willing to kill to get the side of the argument across, whilst the wrong side are the side that were not willing to cross that line. I have no idea, nor do I care, what Miller's political affiliation is, although based on this story it's not hard to guess, nor do I have a problem with political subtext in my fiction, even superhero fiction, as long as it is subtext and not the writer's own political doctrine affecting the story. Uh, I think I've said on the show before, so if you're a long-time listener, I apologise for repeating myself, but if you're going to present a situation analogous to real-world events, then it is beholden to you to present both sides of the argument and allow the characters in the story to pick sides. It's not your job to preach at me. Uh, It is one of the reasons that I really like the remake of Battlestar Galactica. They never come out and say, for example, Guantanamo Bay is bad or good. They present an an analogous situation within the fleet, and then they have characters come out on both sides of the argument, but they never really give us an answer. It's left to the viewer to decide which side they would be on. Here... Miller is clearly leaning towards presenting Cap's side in this story as the side we should be on, and that Tony Stark is the bad guy, which again is not morally ambiguous writing, it's polemic. Mm-hmm. Um, back at Resistance HQ, a couple of Cap's crew leave to join up with Tony. Cap's line, let them go if their freedom means so little to them, again, did not feel like a line that the, the star-spangled Avan- Avenger would say. It just it felt really... Mm. It was on the nose, wasn't it? It, it was, was unsubtle and like banging you over the head with it. You know the thing with Goliath's death? Mm. Um, I, I was actually surprised that he could hold out with the main death for this long, I suppose. First five pages and there was already 900, really. Yeah, but no superheroes had died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I was thinking about that and... DC would have killed off far more than that already. Yeah, probably stabbed him in the back. Let's let's compare this to Infinite Crisis. Yeah, how many people died in there? Within the first issue, they slaughter um, Uncle Sam's team. Yes, they do. Yeah, and so DC... Well, Dan DeVito's big on killing people. He, he, he still has a t-shirt saying kill Nightwing. <laughs> but, but so is Mark Miller, so... Yeah, I mean, Can you was, imagine if uh, Miller and Didier wrote a story together. God, please no. Um, I do like that Dagger's costume is nicely ripped over a bottom. Oh well, have you been looking so far with all the gratuitous arse shots? Yeah, I mean there is quite a lot of arse shots, but McNiven doesn't draw nice arses, so <laughs> there's no nice round, firm Carmine Infantino bottoms here. <laughs> It's just all Ed McGuinness asses. Yeah. It's just all... Who's the other one? Who we think's quite good, but goes a bit too down the cheesecake. Ed Beans. Ed Beans, yeah. yeah. There's no nice Ed Beans firm round women bottom on display. Mm. There are all these kind of flat asses that McNiven draws. <laughs> but I do like that Dagger's conveniently ripped costume is over her ass. Yeah. I like to think that a supervillain did that deliberately. Have <laughs> a look at your bum. That's what I like to think. No, because Dagger's costume isn't revealing enough. No, because essentially it's a skin-tight bodysuit. Yeah. She may as well not be wearing a costume. 
costume, but what so the hell? Tiny little tattoo. Yeah, what, I, what the hell? I did like the scene where Sue saves them all. Though. Yes, I like that Sue Storm, because it does play into the fact that he did actually handle the Reed Sue scene in the earlier issue with subtext. Yeah. So fair play to him, he pulled that one off. Maybe you can't write Reed, but you can write Sue. Uh, maybe, he does. No, I would disagree with that, given what Sue does later on. Yeah. <laughs> so no, he can't write Sue either. Um, Goliath's funeral takes place later on in the issue Reed apropos of nothing points out that Peter is behaving very suspiciously hmm I wonder what's going on over in his uh, story yeah and it's I thought that was ridiculous I honestly thought that scene was ridiculous because what did the greatest scientific mind of our time of our time base this supposition on was it Peter seen taking a secret meeting with Cap or passing a note in the street to Luke Cage, did Reed overhear a phone call where Peter expresses his dissatisfaction with the whole thing? No, Reed sees Peter at Goliath's funeral talking to Aunt May and Murray Jane. And he goes, Peter Parker is acting very suspiciously. <laughs> no. He's not twirling his moustache. <laughs> he's talking to Murray Jane and his aunt. I don't get that that's suspicious, but... yes. Maybe that's just me. I get that we're playing the whole reds under the bed thing here, but really, this heavy-handed and unsubtle line of dialogue was the best way that Miller could come up with Reed to be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Apparently so. Apparently so. Now, I might be nitpicking here. Yeah, that's the point of the show, dude. And I could easily be wrong, but there's, been some, there's something in this issue that has actually always, always bugged me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the woman yes. hands her son's favourite toy to Tony Stark. Yes. That favourite toy is an Iron Man action figure. So yes. why does this annoy me? Well, she says it was his favourite toy since he was three. This is right? a comic book nitpick, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, his favourite uh, toy since he was three years old. But the action figure she has is of the extremist armour, which <laughs> Tony Stark has only had for a few months at this point. Worst continuity goof ever! Yes! <laughs> I love that that's what bothered you. <laughs> this entire issue, that's what bugged you. Yeah. <laughs> Where the hell are Hasbro getting these toys from? Um, this, you know? Oh, fair enough. If, if that's what it is that gets under your, under your skin, <laughs> who am I to argue? Um, the Sue walks out on Reed scene is appallingly bad. <laughs> Whilst I get that Sue would be upset by what has happened and feel that she is on the wrong side, but in a Fantastic Four story where the FF, you know, acted like the characters we've known for 50 years now, this would have been the point where Reed walked out on Tony and the FF, all respected and well-known heroes with no secret IDs, would have started speaking out about the act publicly. No administration would go up against the FF and Captain America if an act was so controversial. Mm. Following on also from the previous notes, if Captain America had took the sensible direct approach, I feel so strongly for this, I'm going to run for office, and Reed had he announced he was supporting Cap and was going to be his running mate, I think the act would have been repealed as soon as possible. Yeah. But no. We get a story that the writer's decided who is on which side before he starts writing the story, so he has to bend the story to fit those whims. In addition, no woman who is that pissed off with her husband would have made him dinner and then slept with him before leaving. And Miller writes Sue was just so needy here. 
Doesn't he? I mean, first off, there would have been no meal. She wouldn't have cooked for him. It's microwave. Secondly, Reed would have been sleeping on the couch. Yeah. Not in the marital bed. So that was just completely wrong. But then Sue's letter, this isn't a cry for attention. Her note says, no, he's trying to take you away from your precious work. And you're just like, God, Sue, you married the guy, you know what he's like. But at the same time, he has never been this non-attentive to her. Even when they went through the whole we're filing for divorce thing. Yeah. That's when he threw himself into his work. Granted, she ran off with Neymar, because, you know, he looks good in Speedo. <laughs> but she lays such a heavy guilt trip on him. I'm leaving the kids, she says. So give them the time you've denied them in the past. Whoa. And it just it makes her seem like such an immense bitch, doesn't it? Making a lowest lane out of her. It's... Uh, I mean, fair enough, fair play. Miller does achieve something here. Yeah. He makes both sides thoroughly unlikable. Mm-hmm. So, well done. On that on that score, he's even the playing field. I do like the panel where they're both in the rain, though, and they both have the different little umbrellas. That panel, though. Oh, right, I do like that, yeah, Johnny Storm's umbrella is flame, mm. protecting her from the rain, and Sue's umbrella is an invisible force field. To amidst all that, there is that one There is that cute little of... character bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but the powers are being used in a mundane manner and very effectively. It's it, Yeah, that is good. Um... We have Tony's stupidest move yet. He arranges a team of Thunderbolts made up of supervillains. Venom, Bullseye, Taskmaster, Elektra, who seems to be alive again, and a couple of others. And not just supervillains. Oh, no, 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 no. That would be too easy, I grant you. There's Elektra. That's not Elektra. Who is it then? Oh, is it Lady Deathstrike? Yes. Sorry, I mistook her for Elektra. I do apologise. And Jack O'Lantern is in the corner, though. Um... But, like, yeah, like I said, not just supervillains. No, that'd be too easy, I grant you. But supervillains who are cold-blooded killers. Yes. I can see this ending exceptionally well mm-hmm. for the pro-registration side. Can't you? Mm. These are the good guys, by the way. Yeah, I, I can tell. Um, uh, this issue's awful. <laughs> uh, it's not just quite bad, it's really most sincerely bad. Tony is now being portrayed as an out-and-out bad guy, willing to kill to get what he wants. Cap is being depicted as fanatical and Reed is just clueless. Mm-hmm. That issue was appalling. Uh, issue 533 of Amazing Spider-Man has some unsubtle nods to Guantanamo Bay with its negative zone holding cell. But by far the most egregious part of the issue is Reed Richards' little speech about his uncle and the HUAC hearings. Given that Reed Richards himself broke the law when he stole his experimental aircraft that ultimately gave him his powers... Given that Reed's pursuit of science has on many occasions overrode his desire to follow the law. Given that Reed Richards actively stood up and defended Galactus as a force of nature who deserves to live when everybody else was calling for his head. I doubt that he would honestly believe his uncle did the wrong thing standing up to the committee hearings. And that, I think we're coming up on two hours though, so we're going to end it though. We'll knock this on the head for this week. There's all the comics. Next time on an all-new episode, uh, Civil War Two. Yes, <laughs> I think that's kind of. Uh, I think it's kind of obvious what Five, we're going to be covering next time. Uh, plus Captain America twenty-five, plus the various little bits and pieces about Spider-Man and Fantastic Four that we've read. Um, if you're a big lover of Civil War, I'm sorry, I do apologise, uh, but we hope you've enjoyed this, <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining. Bye bye. Look at your women crying 
Bye. 